reminder in the midst of turmoil and chaos in a nation, how great is our God? How great is our God? Sermon title, All of God's People Win the Gold. That's more than a participation trophy, okay? By the way, who was involved with ball this season? Anybody go to go to a lot of ball games? I wanted to let you know the season's over. Amen. Amen. <laughs> it's a blast. It's fun, but uh, yeah, uh, I, I I thought, man, I'm glad we're not headed to a ball a ball field this week uh, at six o'clock at night. Uh, anyway, we need to pause just for a moment and pray. Father, here we are again at the throne of grace, an access that was granted to us at the most high cost. Blood had to be shed, a life had to be given in order for us to have access to the Holy of Holies. And here we are. And thank you, Lord Jesus for the blood and the life that you gave. So, Father, we're about to enter into the text of your word. I certainly have some prepared notes. I've prayed about this message. And now I really need to let go of it because it's not mine. It's not mine. Speak to us today, Lord. Speak to our hearts. For the glory of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week we took a look at the Apostle Paul as an accountant. Today we are going to take a look at him as an athlete. And next week, at the close of chapter 3, we'll see him as an alien, a sojourner in a foreign land. Wiersbe points out that verses 1 through 11 of this chapter is about salvation. It deals with the Christian's past. Verses 12 through 16, sanctification. It deals with the Christian's present. And verses 17 through 21 will be glorification, the Christian's future. A quote that I will lay the foundation for our message this morning will help lay that foundation. You cannot focus on the future when you're staring at the past. Let's stand at the reading of God's word this morning. Philippians chapter 3. We'll we'll have uh, verses 12 through 16. So Philippians 3 and beginning in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this. Or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Boy, i got to pause. Isn't that a great statement? Isn't that a great statement? Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what Uh, forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal 
for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything, uh, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Father, please add your blessing to the reading of your word. Be honored by it, and may we be transformed through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Now, the first thing that I would like to present to you for for clarification is this is not a description of salvation. It is a picture of sanctification. In other words, becoming more and more like Christ as we fix our eyes on the glory that lies ahead of us. The example we gather from the text is of of Greek Olympians, uh, the Roman games, uh, where athletes already had to be citizens in order to compete. So the same is true with believers. We must already be citizens of heaven before we can run the race to the glory of Christ. Note there are certain things that should define us, inspire us in the race. The victorious Christian life should be evidenced by at least five things. And we're going to move rapidly into the points this morning. I believe, again, the victorious Christian life should be evidenced by these five things. Number one, a sanctified dissatisfaction. Now, I know that's going to cause some questions. Not that I have already obtained this. Or am I already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. I would call this, in another term, restless contentment. In other words, the Christian needs to know of their security in Christ Jesus. We need to understand what he has granted to us through the great salvation that we now possess that he offered and extended to us, given through the new birth. But that should never be the stopping point. That's not the end. That's the glorious and wonderful new beginning of life in Christ as opposed to the life that I had prior to Christ. So there's this restlessness, there's this dissatisfaction that can be a positive driver in our lives, folks. To just know that there's so much more to know about Christ. I can know him better every day of my life. And and that's what Paul had said earlier, to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, to fellowship in his suffering, becoming like him in in his death. That's that dissatisfaction. There is no place in the spirit-filled Christian life for status quo. There will always or should be a burning in the heart to pursue the righteousness of Christ, always by grace. The measure is not our efforts, but our hearts. Many Christians seem to, to come to this point where the moment they're saved, they think they've arrived. Well, in a sense, that's true. I want to be very careful to qualify that. There is a sense in which that is true because everything that comes with this salvation is already done in heaven. It's already done. But it's being accomplished while we're still here on this earth. 
Had Paul compared himself with others, he could have become proud. And that is a temptation of many believers today. Well, I'm, I, I may not be perfect, but boy, I'm sure better than... No, that's not the measure. That's not the measure. Who is the measure? Christ himself. Christ himself. Often the Bible warns against a false estimation of our spiritual condition. Listen to this. The church at Sardis had a reputation of being alive, but it was dead. Revelation 3.1. They had a reputation without reality. The church at Laodicea boasted that it was rich, when in God's sight, it was wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Wrong estimation of spiritual condition. In contrast to the Laodicean church, the believers of Smyrna thought that they were poor when they were really rich. Do you see where this is going? False estimation. There are two extremes that, 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 that need to be examined. Number one, two errors in, in our positional thinking, making ourselves better than we are or making ourselves worse than we are. You see that? In an estimation of our spiritual condition, let the Holy Spirit do the measure. And the standard is Christ. As a deer pants for the flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. What a way to live. What a way to live. So we have this sanctified dissatisfaction. And next we have a pure devotion. A pure devotion. But one thing I do. Isn't that a great focus statement? One thing that I do. The thing we are most devoted to will drive all other choices around it. There are people who will boast in their devotion to a moral life and still miss the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Because their list will usually begin with the things they do, not the things that Christ has already done. The born-again believer must have a pure devotion to Christ. I, I would recommend that, uh, you know, if you write in your Bible or, or, or make little notes in the margin, uh, but at least make a strong mental note, one thing. One thing. This will be the most important decision of your life. What is the one thing that's most important to you? What is the one thing that drives your passion and your zeal. One thing, Wiersbe says, is a phrase that is important in the Christian life. One thing you lack, said Jesus to the self-righteous young ruler. One thing is needful, he explained to busy Martha when she criticized her sister. One thing I know, exclaimed the man who had received his sight by the power of Christ. One thing have I desired uh, of the Lord that I will seek after, testified the psalmist. One thing. Christians are involved in many things. But the secret of progress is to focus and concentrate on one thing. The believer must devote himself to running the Christian race. We have the victorious Christian life evidenced by a sanctified dissatisfaction. We have it evidenced by a pure devotion. And now we must have a clear direction. A clear direction. And I will be very honest with you as we begin this third point. 
this is one of the areas that I needed to hear this sermon before I was going to be able to preach this sermon. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting what lies behind and straining toward to forward to what lies ahead. And the language there, that straining, is an intense word. It basically means with every fiber of our being, we press on towards the goal. We must not be controlled by our past. Hear me, please, as we consider this. What happens to a runner when he looks back? He loses his pace. That's good. I never even thought of that one. He, he, he breaks his stride. He loses his pace. And what's that give opportunity for? His past to catch up with him. Everything that's behind him, her, him. By the way, there are only two, her and him. Just in case you were wondering, with today's news, I'm just saying there's only her and him. That's it, okay? But what happens when we look back? What happens when the runner turns around, the football player, the whoever it is, in open field can blow a good play by seeing what's gaining on him, and he should just simply leave it behind. Jesus himself gives us clear instruction on this. In chapter 9 of Luke, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God, point made by Jesus himself. Have you ever been told to watch where you're going? Well, isn't that the focus of a Christian life? I want to watch where I'm going, and I'm headed towards Christ. I'm headed towards glory. My driving example, I do go where I watch. That's why I like them ripple strips along the side of the highway. I, I'm going where I'm watching. There's something over there I want to see. <laughs> Just had to see if you were awake. This is a critical point, my brothers and sisters, my friends. This is a critical point in principle for many believers and one that I have struggled with in my life. But a believer must not allow their past to control their direction. There is no future in the past. We are accustomed to saying past, present, future. But I challenge us to view this in the opposite way. Future, present, past. At least the believer should be future-oriented, forgetting those things which are behind. And I want us to, to, to understand that word. Forget, to forget does not mean to fail to remember. 
To forget in the Bible means no longer to be influenced by or affected by. When God promises that when we confess our sins and our iniquities, he will remember them no more, does not mean God has a mental deficiency. It means he has made a conscious decision to remove those sins from us and never to bring them up to us again. They're gone. Sins can no longer affect the standing with me or influence my attitude towards them. Forgetting those things which are behind does not suggest an impossible feat of mental or psychological hoops. But we can change the meaning of the past. We can change the meaning of the past and simply figure out how God wants to use it. If you have been through a tragedy in life, whatever that may be, through serious illness, through injury, through loss of loved ones, and maybe all the above, the only thing that can bring sorrow to sorrow and heap pain upon pain is not letting God use it. Folks, if all we have is the pain and suffering of this life, if all we have is the concerns and the turmoil around us, if that's all there is, then we are a people of little hope. But there's more than that because in every one of those circumstances, in every one of those trials, in every one of those tragic situations, there is an opportunity for God to be glorified. And then we are filled once again with purpose. With purpose. Life has meaning. There's no meaninglessness to life. It has a reason. The events did not change, but my understanding of them changed. It's that simple and that difficult. You see, too many Christians are shackled by the regrets of the past. They're trying to run the race by looking backward. No wonder they stumble and fall. Some Christian runners are being distracted by the successes of the past, not the failures. And that's just as bad. I remember when they built the second temple in the, in the Old Testament and it was all complete. Yet some of the, the, the people that had been around to see the first one said, well, it sure ain't like the last one. It was the temple of God. Sometimes, sometimes things change and we have to see what things need to be left behind in order to run into the future. The things which are behind must be set aside and the things which are before must take their place. We have a dissatisfaction, we have a devotion, we have a direction and now number four, an unwavering determination. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. To press on means intense endeavor, a consuming desire. I'm a kind of a competitive guy. Now, probably most of you have never picked that up. But I like a good competition. And I have discovered, interestingly enough, 
that some of the greatest quarterbacks that ever lived, some of the greatest hitters that ever lived, some of the greatest runners that ever lived are sitting in the stands and have never been on the field. They've read the books, they've listened to the commentators, they've cheered, they booed, but never got in the game. I had the opportunity down here at the Ball Diamond one night. Ross Miner, of course, uh, takes care of the, the, the whole city league and everything. And, and I showed up right before the game and, and caught Ross. He was out there getting ready to umpire. I said, Ross, I'm here. I'm here. Don't worry. I'm, I'm here to call the game. He said, fantastic. He said, come on out on the field. I said, no. No. I don't call the, fo- the plays from out there. I call them from the stands. I said, I don't know anything about calling them out there behind home plate, but I never get them wrong back here, right? Never made a bad call from the bleachers. Amen. Ross wouldn't let me call the game back there. And sometimes, you know what, brothers and sisters, when we're running the race, Sometimes you got to run hurt. You got to play hurt. But you stay in the game. You stay in the race. There are two extremes to avoid. The one is, I must do it all. And the other is, God must do it all. Those are two extremes. The first describes the activist, the second, the quietest. And both are heading for failure. I'm going to throw a phrase out here, and I I hope it's uh, not too offensive. But I really don't care to hear, well, you just got to let go and let God. How many of you have had that one? Okay, how many of you said it? I have. (laughs) I, I don't want to say it again. But, folks, that's not really what you do. God is able to work through us. God is able to use us for his glory. But the point is, we're involved with God's activities. We're involved with God's activities. It's not just that we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. No. We are part of his getting his will done on earth. So we got to be in the game. We got to be in the race. And sometimes you go on the field with some hurts and some pains. But you go on the field. What quarterback would say to his team, "Okay, men. Let's go." And let the coach do it all. Or on the other hand, he might say, listen to me and forget what the coach says. No, we don't want that either. The Christian runner with a spiritual mind realizes that God must work in him if he is going to win the race. John 15, 5, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. God works in us that he might work through us. As we apply ourselves to the things of the spiritual life, God is able to mature us and strengthen us and grow us. So what is the goal? 
the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, that which Christ has already obtained for us, we're running towards that which is already in our possession. Figure that one out. It's already done, secured in glory by Christ Jesus. In other words, we press on towards that which is already ours. Number five, very quickly, a spiritual discipline. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anyone uh, think uh, anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Every sport has rules. The Christian life has rules. We find them outlined very clearly in the rule book. Now, some are going to say, well, that sounds awful legalistic. Well, get over it because there are rules to obey in here. Okay, not through legalism, but because of the grace and mercy of God that's been extended to us. We have a desire to walk according to the Spirit. Don't walk any longer according to the flesh. You've been delivered from that. That old man is dead. That past is gone. But walk according to the Spirit. Rules. The Christian life is about walking according to the Spirit, living according to the Spirit, not a reference to legalism, but there are spiritual rules, spiritual laws laid out to guide us and keep us on track. There were judges at the Greek games to monitor the competition. We have the Holy Spirit to monitor our hearts and our minds. And the issue here is it doesn't matter what I think or what the spectators think, but what does the Spirit think? What does the Lord think? I, I, I can't help but share, share a real quick illustration here. Uh, Again, at ball season, but uh, we was at a, a, a tournament game here last week, and uh, one of the boys ran for home, and, and the catcher come uh, charging towards home plate, and the runner jumped over the catcher and landed on the plate. Okay? Typically, you've got to slide at home. That's, that's the right, right? You, you're a coach. What do you mean you don't know? <laughs> umpire said, ow. person sitting right over here next to me, I, I didn't know exactly what had happened, says, he didn't tag him. The catcher didn't tag him. Umpire turned around and said, when he came down, he landed on the catcher's glove. Sometimes you got to have the right vantage point to make the call. Do you see? He was out. Now, the people in the stands can't see that. Catcher and everything was blocking their view. But who's seen it? The guy that was running the game. <laughs> Umpire said, out. And guess what? He was out. That mitt was between the runner and home plate. That's an out. Folks, we got to be careful. We got to be careful. In our desire to make judgment calls, we got to be very careful because far too often they are made without a full awareness of the circumstances and the situation. When I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I just want you to know 
he's not going to ask for an opinion poll. And he's not really interested in mine either. The judge of heaven and earth will make the final call. Now, for the believer, I'm going to be very honest with you. I don't know exactly what that judgment seat's going to look like. Our works will be judged. There are other things that are listed in Scripture that will happen. But our, our destiny is secure. I know that. Our destiny is secure. In track and field, races quite often begin with a staggered start. Depending on what lane you're in determines your starting position in the blocks. But in longer distances, as the race progresses, everybody begins to merge into one lane. And the finish line always remains the same. The goal is constant. Everybody in this sanctuary come out of the blocks at a different place. But we all got the same distance to run. Whether you're on an inside lane or an outside lane, the stagger makes up the difference. And we all got a race to run. And we're all eventually in the same lane anyway as Christians. I thought of this illustration, too, from the wide world of sports. And I thought of that as a sermon tile, the, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Do you remember when they broke the 10-second 100-yard dash? Who remembers that? Oh, my goodness. Remember when Bob Hayes was the fastest human alive? Do you remember when Jim Ryan run the four-minute mile? Oh, now we're getting somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. You know how the 100-yard dash is run under 10 seconds? By making sure you run every 10 yards in a second. That's it. If you don't run every 10 yards in a second, then you cannot run a 10-second, 100-yard dash. Guys, that's the Christian life. That's the Christian life. And never look back. Never look back. J.C. Ryle put it this way. No man was ever sorry that he served the Lord. No man ever said at the end of his days, I have read my Bible too much. I have thought of God too much. I have prayed too much. I have been too concerned about my soul. Oh, no. The people of God would always say, had I my life over again, I would walk far more closely with God than ever I have done. I am sorry that I have not served God better, but I am not sorry that I have served Him. The way of Christ may have its cross, 
but it is a way of pleasantness and a path of peace. Father, thank you for the time that we've had here this morning. A time in your word, a time to fellowship, a time to grow, a time to be challenged. A time, Father, maybe to realize that something may be in our life that's holding us back and not allowing us to to run freely. Maybe it's that that sin the writer of Hebrews refers to that, that entangles us, ties our feet up. Father, I pray this morning that there are those, if they're struggling with these issues, they'll find release, they'll find freedom, uh, they'll, they'll find the strength and the, uh, and the want to, to get in the race and run with joy. Run with joy as the glory of Christ shines brightly before us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Let's stand, please. For the invitation hymn. And out of all of these illustrations, so many of them to do with sports and athletic endeavors, the question is, do you know the prize? (laughs) Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And there may be some who have been tripped up in the race. They've fallen. You know what? That's where the competition in the church ends. Because you never leave a fallen competitor behind. You stop, you turn around, you go back, and you help that brother or sister up. And you finish the race together. May God have his way.